All right, folks, welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am very excited to discuss uh, a final little bit of preview here for this particular series that, that it's, it feels like it's a series for the ages. Uh, between the Nuggets and the Lakers, we've got plenty to discuss on this front. But I've got a special guest with me for this one, somebody who I've been listening to for a long time, who's as entrenched in Denver sports and Denver radio as there is in this coverage. It is the great Sean Drotar, who is over now at Mile High Sports Radio. You can make sure to catch him at the 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock hour on uh, Mile High Sports Radio, 98.1. We'll, we'll make sure to cover all that in depth as well. But you can also follow him at Drotar on Twitter. Sean, uh, thank you so much for, for sharing your time with me, man. I, I really do appreciate you stopping by. Oh, it's terrific to be here. Thank you so much. And if you listen to the show with me and Santa Claus on Mile High Sports Radio, of course, you've got Ryan a, a lot. You've been pretty heavily on it for Nuggets coverage. So uh, I feel it's uh, well overdue that I return the favor. It's been awesome. I, I like to go on Sean and Sandy's show because I feel like I often learn a lot about basketball coverage, just uh, being and just the basketball itself, being able to listen to very smart people who have been covering this thing and, and have seen these ups and downs with uh, the Nuggets, specifically against the Los Angeles Lakers. And I figured who better to talk about the history of this matchup with than Sean Drotar <laughs> and, and some some of the folks who have been around and covering this thing uh, in, in depth on, on these shows for a long, long time. So we're going to focus in on the history of this Nuggets-Lakers matchup for a little bit. Uh, we will talk about some of those individual matchups, and then we're going to get into some tactics, some adjustments, some X factors later on in the podcast. But I'm looking forward to it. should be a lot of fun. Let's get into it now with the history of this matchup. Now, obviously, the Nuggets have never won a championship before, Sean. They've never even been to the finals before. Uh, unfortunately, the, what, the reason why they haven't been to the finals a lot of times is because of the the silver screen and roll folks over there uh, in, in uh, Los Angeles. That's been a, a very difficult aspect of this. Uh, before we get into the individual matchups, just – your perspective on covering these Nuggets and, and covering this Nuggets organization every time they get into a situation where they have to face the Lakers at the end. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I grew born and raised in Colorado, so I grew up here. And, uh, yeah, I still have scars uh, from Lakers matchups all the way back to the uh, – I, I barely remember, but I do remember the Nuggets getting run by the, the Showtime Lakers – uh, they just always seem at the wrong time to run into some great Lakers teams where, you know, it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or it's Magic Johnson or it's Kobe Bryant or, or, or in this case now LeBron James. They always run into a Lakers team that is stacked. And uh, there's definitely a, a giant chip on the shoulder of the Denver Nuggets and Nuggets fans. This is the team they want to get by and want to get past to get to their first ever NBA Finals. But at the same time, it's daunting and it feels like there is the weight of history that also weighs down on their shoulders here. And so for Nuggets fans, uh, it, it becomes difficult to start to separate it and think that even though they've, they've been the best team all year, they're the top seed, that's never happened. The Nuggets have never had the home 
court over the Lakers before at any time in the playoffs. But it still feels like it's the Lakers. Something bad's going to happen. And uh, trying to get past that at times can be difficult. I think for a lot of reasons, this matchup is going to be a little bit different, particularly because Denver's the favorite. They've never been a favorite in the Western Conference Finals before. That seems Ooh. seems ludicrous to even think about. And and I do think that this team, the way that they have the way that they have evolved, uh, there, there's there's a lot to like. Uh, basically, shifting away from this matchup in the bubble, and I think that both teams have gone in different directions since then. Obviously, now the Lakers are are back at back on the saddle, and they've they've shown their ability to. I think make up for the difference in, in in having some some down years there and, and making some bad decisions. They're they're still able to get right back around and they, they have the talent and the capacity to do that. Denver hasn't ever really had that before. So it's been a it's been a slow build. They had to recover after a couple of really tough injuries over these last couple of years, but they are back. The Lakers are back. Uh let's just go through it really quick though. I have some of these banners here. Uh, to throw across the screen. First time, if I recall, first time I recall that the Lakers and the Nuggets actually matched up in the playoffs in the NBA uh, was 1985 in a very famous Nuggets-Lakers Western Conference Finals. It's one of the first times that Denver fans, I think, could really taste success uh, with a very, very talented team led by Alex English and Fat Lever. And they ran into Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, just from talking with Sandy, like uh, Sandy Clough, your your partner on uh, Sean and Sandy in the afternoons, uh, obviously a very famous voice here in Denver as well. Uh, what is he like? What are some of the things that he has spouted? And I'm, I'm sure, sure you have memories of this too. Just like about how close this team was in this series before Alex English actually got injured. Well, I mean, I was a little young for this one. I do remember it. Uh, it's one of my earlier sort of Nuggets memories, but, you know, Sandy was obviously in town for it. And, uh, yeah, the Nuggets had a chance. This was a really good team. Remember, I mean, Alex English is a, is a Hall of Famer. They had tremendous players in Fat Lever, uh, you know, one of the, the guys that up until literally just a, a year or two ago, top 10 all-time in triple-doubles. His numbers retired uh, in the arena. You had the up at, at times that was where Kiki Vandaway was there. I mean, this is the Calvin Nat. This was the team that had a lot of talent. And uh, they, they just weren't able to get past because you ran into the Showtime Lakers in their absolute prime. So you kind of run into a buzzsaw there. And that's the problem. And Denver's run into this before, you know, years prior, 1977, when the Denver Broncos made the Super Bowl, the Orange Crush defense, uh, a legendary defense. But they ran into, in 1977, the doomsday defense of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Craig Morton ended up setting the record for interceptions in a Super Bowl in that game. It still stands to this day, unfortunately. And sometimes you don't get to pick who you play against. And for, for the Nuggets, unfortunately, at these times, they always kept running into that Lakers buzzsaw. They ran into these all-time great teams. But yes, they, they had a real chance there. This was an outstanding team, a, a great scoring team. Alex English, to my mind, he's in the Hall of Fame, still one of the more underrated players uh, of his generation. You can still win, uh, by the way, if you're ever going out to the bars, you want to win an easy bet. Go ahead and ask somebody who scored the most points in the entire decade of the 1980s. They'll pick, uh, they'll pick, they'll pick Magic, they'll pick Bird, they'll pick Jordan, they'll pick Dominique Wilkins. It's, it's Alex English. I mean, that's where this Nuggets team was. But unfortunately, he ran into a team with Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Magic Johnson, James Worthy, all Hall of Famers, 
and they, there was really not much you can do about it. And of course, when uh, the Greyhound gets hurt, uh, that's the way it goes. It's a tough place to be. Uh, obviously, injured by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in a very uh, controversial play. Yes, overthrown that uh, for for Kareem, one of the dirtiest plays of his uh, career, which was not renowned for that kind of play. And uh, obviously, that's that's been lost to history in a lot of ways. It's something that you know you'll probably gloss over a little bit in the in the grand scheme of Lakers championdom. And and with the Nuggets, that's that's something that Nuggets fans have, have held on to for a while. Uh, moving on to 1987. They faced off in the first round, lost by 82 total points in those three games. Just going back, I, I didn't really have any perspective on on this particular matchup, but uh, just going back and looking at the box scores, Magic Johnson's just dicing them up. Blair Rasmussen is the matchup for Kareem in that in that series. That's a that is a tough place to be if you are the Denver Nuggets at that time. Uh, yeah, I mean anybody versus Kareem is tough. Blair Rasmussen uh, for the Nuggets, actually a uh, you know one of the guys that kind of came through, uh, not really an awful player, but a very much league average player. Certainly had no chance against Kareem, and you have Magic in his prime. I mean, obviously, uh, not a lot of chance for the Nuggets again. And, and it's easy to forget that during that time period. You know, we talk about the Hall of Famers that were on it, but uh, you forget about the role players. You got your Byron Scotts and uh, Pat Riley, of course, is one of the show with Tex Winter. At a certain point, you know, even being involved in this. So, I mean, it was obviously a really tough uh, fit for the Nuggets. And again, it's just one of those spots where they were overmatched. And and these happened from time to time. Unfortunately, it just kept happening to the Nuggets. Just kept happening to the Nuggets. Uh, unfortunately, Denver goes through a pretty drastic lull. They had a brief spell in 19, years, you know. 1994, 1995, when, when they, they figured some stuff out. But ultimately... That that's like early '90s and then late '90s and most of the early 2000s were pretty horrible for Denver, and then they lost in the first round plenty of times even before they like they didn't even get to face the Lakers because they were not good enough as a as a first round playoff team a lot of the times and then that that was that was the story of the Carmelo Anthony era until 2009 where you get the fabled Western Conference run with Chauncey Billups and. Those two uh, were fantastic, uh, Carmelo and Chauncey. That was a great duo in Nuggets history. Maybe the best duo outside of, well, Fat Lever and Alex English or Nicole Jokic and Jamal Murray. You've got a couple. You got a couple good candidates there at this point. And then Trevor Ariza happened, and inbounds plays happened. I'm sure that George Carl has admonished this, and the players have have spoken about this on podcasts and shows and all of it about. Man, we they didn't they don't even draw up inbounds plays anymore. It's just just all this nonsense. Look, Denver had an opportunity in those Western Conference Finals and they blew it. I, that that's fair. I think that's a fair way to put it. At the same time, I guess I look at it. We we have George Carl on uh, virtually every week over on the show with Sandy and I at Mile High Sports Radio, and Sandy actually was a podcast uh, with George Carl. So if you're into the basketball podcast right here, like you're listening to this one, you want to check that out. It's called. Truth in basketball, Sandy Clough and George Carlin. You want some basketball history? Very uh, good show. Very yeah, good show. That out, but uh, at the same time, that was almost a different NBA, Ryan, because this was still a league, and, and it is to a certain extent. I'm sure we'll talk about it over the course of the, this podcast. But this was a league in which uh, big cities, stars ruled the day, and uh, you know we we don't hear about star calls 
as much in today's NBA. Uh, star calls existed for the NBA and they consist, they existed for the NBA for that sort of span of time too, where, you know, if you were a star, you drive, you could kind of flop, you could do anything, any contact, you're going to the line. The Nuggets were caught up in that too. Were they probably equal of those Lakers at that time? They were, but this was also a time in the NBA in which the NBA wanted a uh, Los Angeles team in the finals, not a Denver team in the finals for star power, for ratings, for all of that. And it's not to say that it was fixed, but there is a leaning in the NBA over the course of its history. And there is no getting around it. And I've covered this league for literally decades in which the instinct is to go to the bigger market. And if there's a, a decision to be made, you know, baseball will say the tie goes to the runner. In the NBA, the tie goes to the bigger market with the bigger stars. And so when you run into these situations with calls, that's the way it's gone. It is getting better, and it's part of the reason the Nuggets have a really good opportunity here. But in 2009, that was still a huge part of the league. And so to dance around that, I don't think would be entirely fair. Did the Lakers deserve to win that series? They did. Were the Nuggets probably a lot closer and, and would have stood a better chance had they have been from, say, Houston? Well, that's also the truth, too. Interesting. I, I hadn't heard that aspect of it. And it's, it's one of those things where I was I was still very young at that time. I do remember uh, Carmelo Anthony shot over Dirk Nowitzki in the second round series that year just to win game three. That was a very, very impressive moment for him. And it, it felt like things were lining up for Denver at that point, but they they never ultimately got over that hump. And that was probably their their closest opportunity until potentially this this bubble run that we'll talk about soon. Mm-hmm. But in between then, we had a, a different era, the Ty Lawson, Danilo Gallinari Nuggets that didn't ever really amount to much, unfortunately, outside of the 57-win season. Uh, they lost 4-3 to three in that first round and into a, a flawed Lakers team at that point, but still had Kobe Bryant, still had Pau Gasol, still had Andrew Bynum. And... I call this the Metal World Peace Revenge game because one of the big storylines in that series was that Metal World Peace right before, right before the end of the regular season, elbowed James Harden right in the eye. And it was it was a big storyline. Was he going to be suspended? How long was he going to be suspended for? Ended up getting suspended for seven games, which accounted for the final regular season game, as well as the first six games of the of that first round and comes back in game seven and locks up Danilo Gallinari in that game. Uh, Gallo went one of nine from the field and scored three points. And the rest was history because the Nuggets just didn't have enough. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it boiled down to. They just didn't quite have enough in this case. And you're talking about a situation where uh, if you're talking about the best two players in that series, that was Kobe and it was Pau Gasol. And that's one of the situations the Nuggets have run into as well. When you go back to the 80s and those Showtime Lakers, as we discussed, obviously you had the best players on the Lakers. And historically, that's always been the case. It was the case really up until at any point. And now for the first time, as we will get into it a little bit later, here we are in 2023, this might be the first time in history when the Nuggets might have the best player. When you're talking about one of the best guys to ever lace him up in LeBron James, and a, a guy that's won a national title and an NBA title, and it's going to be in the Hall of Fame as well, and Anthony Davis, uh, you can see how hard it is for the Nuggets to get that because unlike the Lakers by and large, the Nuggets have to draft and develop. Uh, the top free agents 
do not come to Denver. And even though things have changed in the salary cap, that's still the situation. Whereas the Lakers could always get the best players. That's just the nature of being the Lakers, of being in LA, of the way the salary cap works. So if you everyone could actually offer about the same amount of money, uh, where are you going to go? You're going to go to the one that not only gives you the, the bigger market, the bigger opportunities to make money, but it's also the ancillary revenue. And I think that gets lost in the shuffle when we talk about why these big markets in the NBA historically do well, Ryan. And part of it is because if, if you're a superstar in Denver, where are your opportunities to make other amounts of revenue? Where are your advertisements in the Denver market? You do that in LA or Chicago or Houston or New York. Right. There are infinite number of opportunities for you to augment the amount of money, even though you have a max deal, you can go to one of these markets and you can make way more money on top of that. You still can't do that in Denver or Milwaukee. And so that's one of the things that even though the NBA has tried really hard to level things out, they're not simply going to be able to do it this way because it's the very nature of these enormous cities and their marketing opportunities that smaller towns like Denver simply can't match. It's tough, and it definitely factors into a lot of these different series that they've had to face mm -hmm. over the course of this time. Like, would you get a Ron Artest Meta, Meta World piece in a smaller market? Probably not. Probably not. That's not that's that just no. It's just how the cookie crumbles, and that's those are the kinds of role players that you're talking about here. But uh, finally, we go all the way to 2020, where Denver, after coming back from multiple three-one deficits, very tired in the bubble in a very unique environment where. Lakers didn't really have to try up until that point to actually get through the Blazers and the Rockets. Uh, very flawed, very small teams. The Nuggets did not have enough juice at the end of that at the end of that run to be able to really compete. Uh, Jokic was a different player. Jamal Murray was fantastic in that series, but really was the only guy that, other than Jokic, that that could do much of anything. And Denver, Denver just ultimately didn't have enough in that case, and. I went back and looked at the numbers. LeBron averaged like 27, 10, and 9 in that series and, and was probably the best player on the court in a series that AD averaged 31 points per game. I think so. And and I think you brought up Anthony, you brought up Anthony Davis there. You should have. You know, he was 30-plus points per game. But LeBron James was still at the apex of his powers. And this is a guy who's apex. Uh, you think of most people at apex, you know, it goes in that little – that little chart, and then it, it, it peaks. Uh, LeBron's is more like a giant long plateau. plateau. I was just <laughs> thinking that. Yeah, it's totally different. Uh, he, he was still at, at the height of his powers, and and because of that, obviously, set up Anthony Davis. Now, the amazing thing is you go back at that point in time, that it wasn't all that long ago, right? And uh, we are talking about a series that's coming up. Anthony Davis and LeBron James are still with the Lakers. Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and Michael Porter Jr. are still with the Nuggets. That's it. That's it. It's a it's an interesting factor. Uh, there are some differences, and I think the passage of time has helped Denver and probably hurt LA in that fact. In that, and the fact that KCP is now on the Nuggets instead of guarding Jamal Murray for the Lakers. Absolutely, there's there's a lot of role players that we can talk about on that particular Lakers team that don't even really like, like Kyle Kuzma was on that team and, and he's probably going to get like 20 million a year this this offseason. You had role players like Alex Caruso who at the Caruso's time, fantastic. Active player, right? I mean these were a part of the, the the Lakers role players and and what you've seen in this particular series coming up is the Rob Palenka, the former agent who was uh, maligned as a GM going for uh, at least at the, the, the beginning of his tenure there with the Lakers and maybe fairly so. Uh 
as this, you know, dumb and dumbers. And you've gone and you've completely redeemed yourself by the trade deadline, you know, reinventing the Lakers on the fly. And here they are playing the best basketball of the year. We don't have a lot of comparisons because this team was revamped post the last time these two teams played. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. We'll be able to talk about all of that. Tell you what, though, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about why this team was a little bit different than in past years, as well as tactical questions for this series. Should be a lot of fun. But first, everybody, this podcast, as you know, it's brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Uh, As I realized that I should probably have the other ad read that I forgot to pull up. We're gonna we're going to just get this done. New Superbook read. Here we go. Uh, bring that big bet energy this summer with Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports is the most trusted name in sports betting. And right now, use your promo code Mile High to score up to two hundred and fifty dollars with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, they will match your first bet up to two hundred and fifty dollars with promo code. Mile high. Simply visit superbook.com for terms and conditions or download the Superbook Colorado app in app stores. Enter the promo code Mile High and you'll get 250 bucks courtesy of Superbook Sports. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 522 4700. We'll be right back with Big Axe and Roll. Pickaxe and roll Ryan Blackburn here. Don't you love forgetting that you have an updated ad read for the week and realize, yeah, that's a that's an important aspect of, of doing your job. That's a, that's a really good thing. Welcome to the to the club, my friend. I can <laughs> say that, that hasn't happened to me more than a couple times before either. Ah, it's always always good to see. But we're back. Pickaxe and roll. I'm joined by the great esteemed Sean Drotar. Does great work for the Mile High Sports Radio side and, and helped me out greatly on the Nuggets coverage this year, especially on those home playoff or those home games, those uh, those articles, those were super helpful during the regular season, just being able to uh, free up to do this podcast for everybody. That's that's the most important thing here. But uh, we we are a team over at Mile High Sports and we mm-hmm. love to contribute. That's a, a very important aspect of what we do. Uh, but right now, Sean, let's get back into... Uh, why this Nuggets team, I, I think it's different than past years. I, I think it's different than uh, – there's at least a different feel in terms of where Denver is approaching this as an underdog versus the favorite. I, they are the favorite now, and they should have been the favorite last series in my opinion. Uh, they weren't because of the name value of Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and Chris Paul and guys like that. Mm-hmm. I think that Denver should have been the favorite in that series, and it's why I picked them to win – in seven games, although that's not exactly that wasn't exactly sparkling in terms of my confidence level, but I feel more confident about this series than I did in the last one, just because I've seen Denver do it now, and I've seen them solve problems and and solve them in a very impressive way uh, that I didn't know if I was going to be able to see, and it just seems like they have they have that extra gear. What do you think is different about this Nuggets team? than in years past. Why, why do you think everybody is trending this direction? 
Well, I think I think the main credit, Ryan, goes to GM Calvin Booth, who then built upon what we saw from Tim Connolly over all these years. And, and one of the weaknesses that Tim Connolly had, and he had very few, and, and obviously I think Connolly did a brilliant job with the Denver Nuggets, but he did have sort of a favorites. And this is normal for GMs or for coaches. You know, you have guys that you lean on. And it, if Tim Connolly was still here, it's, I would assume, I feel very comfortable in saying that Will Barton would still be here. Monte Morris would still be here. And the Denver Nuggets would probably be out of the playoffs. Calvin Booth instead didn't have the same attachments as Tim Connolly. So the first thing that he did is went ahead and looked at the landscape of the NBA offseason and said, all right, I have uh, the best player on planet Earth in Nikola Jokic. I have a player that has a completely different, unique uh, set of skill sets as anyone else in the league. So what I'm going to do is make him the nucleus of this molecule. I'm going to build around him, and I'm going to look at what best sets up Nikola Jokic's skills and maximizes it. You knew you had parts already, and certainly there were guys with contracts, and you have to work around that. But the move to go get Contavious Caldwell-Pope, the move to go get Bruce Brown, which I was over the mood about, the move to go draft Christian Brown, in which reportedly uh, Michael Malone was not entirely all in on. So these moves by Calvin Booth were confident, uh, commanding moves by a new GM who understood exactly what he wanted to build and exactly what he wanted to do. Obviously, that worked out extremely well because Jokic has a team around him that fits. And when you look around, the, the way the playoffs has gone and the eight-man rotation that Michael Malone has thrown out, it starts with Bruce Brown. It then goes to, depending on the game, uh, Jeff Green and then Christian Brown. These are auditions uh, that are significant. When you're talking about an eight-man rotation, three of those guys, obviously we're not talking about Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who is, uh, is a starter, are new. So three-eighths of the, the Nuggets playoff rotation are new additions this year from Calvin Booth. So the first thing you have to do is start there and look at the roster construction around Nikola Jokic and the way that Calvin Booth decided that this needed to be made. And the fact that he finished third in GM of the year and executive of the year voting, I think speaks to that. 100%. And being able to solve problems as a general manager, it's it's an underrated aspect of, of finishing up the roster where there, there are not a lot of resources when you get into this position where, where you've traded for, you've signed, you have extended, you have maxed out your core, basically, with Murray, Porter, Gordon, Jokic. You felt pretty good about that group. It was just about getting the finishing touches. And for him to acquire these different pieces, these these different guys that could potentially help them in in these series has been extremely helpful. I, I always thought that KCP, that Bruce Brown would be great fits. I didn't know about Christian Brown. I, th- I didn't know whether he would be a contributor this year. And as it turns out, I was, I was dead wrong. I, I am very happy to admit that because he's been fantastic. And Jeff Green, like he, he's still a veteran that kind of a carryover from the previous uh, from from Tim Connolly, but still a guy that they have trust in, still a guy that they have faith in. And Michael Malone at practice today credited the veterans and credited uh, DeAndre Jordan and Ish Smith and, and Jeff Green and KCP and all of these guys who have been around the block and understand that. I think that that's another aspect of this is just adding in veteran voices, adding in players that understand how this works, and then being able to navigate the different ups and downs of the regular season, keeping things fresh, not necessarily having to focus on things uh, as, as intently as you need to because you've taken care of your business. And then when it comes to the playoffs, you take care of your business that way. Uh, it's, been, it's been really cool. 
it's been really cool to see them evolve and, and they, they just feel like a different group. They feel like a veteran group. Yeah. And, and I think that is important. You, you do have a, a veteran group. I mean, I think that's a completely fair way to put it because when you're talking about some of the players you've added, there is a, a comfort level. Now there's not a lot of championship caliber guys on there, at least that have walked around with rings. You no, know, can Caldwell Pope is one. He got one with the Lakers, obviously in that year in the bubble. But you have guys who have been around. You have guys who are well-traveled. You have guys uh, who are hungry. I mean, you have very talented players. Uh, I, I've said this on the show multiple times. Uh, I love the talent that Everett Nuggets have. But give me five Bruce Browns in a pickup game, and I will take on anybody. I mean, I think they have versatility. I think they have guys with heart. I think they have guys with hunger. And now uh, uh, some of that core – this has been together for a while when you talk about Murray and Porter Jr. and Jokic in particular. And th- that's uh, something that Kevin Durant alluded to after the series ended with the Suns. I uh, talked about, obviously, Jokic's ability, uh, but also talked about Michael Malone and the culture that the Nuggets have had. And I think that was not only something that was genuine admiration from Kevin Durant, but also a bit of an understanding that he didn't get that. He got traded to this team at the trade deadline. It's all new guys. Uh, he was still hurt. They had to just kind of throw it all together. And it was just the talent, hoping that the talent would take everything over. In the Nuggets case, there is genuinely a a confidence and a comfort level in one another that I think actually gives them a bit of confidence in those bad spots. And Michael Malone, give him credit. I have had issues with the way Michael Malone uh, coaches during game time. I have no issue with the way he handles things in between games. I do occasionally have issue with the way that he handles in-game situations. But he was the uh, superior coach against Minnesota. He was the superior coach against Phoenix. And quite frankly, I see no reason why he won't be the superior coach against former Denver Nugget player Darvin Ham. We'll have plenty to talk about there in just a little bit. But now let's transition into the tactical questions here where I've got several points that I want to make on this one. I've got several things that I think are general questions that will, will be answered eventually that we can go as general or specific as we want to in these, but I think the first one that really stands out to me is just who starts for the Lakers. They changed their rotation in this last Golden State series. They might change it back, but they had been starting Jared Vanderbilt. He had done a great job against John Morant, struggled to make an impact, not necessarily against Steph Curry, but they weren't playing as well against Steph and and what they were supposed to be doing and, and, there were some weaknesses there. So they decided to start Dennis Schroeder in game six. That worked well for them, uh, though that is a completely different team and a completely different situation than the Denver Nuggets. So my question to you is, if, if you're the Lakers, you have these different guys that, that you can mix and match. Only LeBron and AD really need to be on the court. Austin Reeves has proven to be fantastic, though. Uh, D'Angelo Russell's probably going to start for them, too. Who else, like, who would, who would you put as the fifth starter there for the Lakers? And what do you think they go with versus the Nuggets? Well, I mean, what we see, I think, for the most part is Jared Vanderbilt, I think, is the, the, the guy we're talking about. But it's possible they could go through Hachimura, who I think has a more diverse set of skills than Vanderbilt. But at the same time, I, I think what you get in Vanderbilt is a guy that does not need the ball at all. Uh, not an offensive factor. And I think when you're looking at the rest of it, that actually fits for the Lakers. The question is, defensively, where does this go? Because this part is fascinating. When you take a peek at it, you know, uh, guarding against Anthony Davis, who was so brilliant in in the bubble that we talked about earlier, 
That's Nikola Jokic and I don't know. You know, who, where do you go? Uh, is is it something that if, if Jokic is in foul trouble or if you need to go to the bench, uh, can it be Jeff Green? I don't think so. You know, where do you go with this? And LeBron James, you're talking about Eric Gordon. Then who guards him? Christian Brown too small. Christian Brown too small. Bruce Brown too small. I'm not sure. The that's the tactical part of this is interesting. Nikola Jokic, you could say the same thing for the Lakers. Remember in the bubble, and, and Nikola Jokic was a different player back then, Ryan. But at the same time, they had more than just Anthony Davis. Uh, Dwayne Howard played a lot of the time on Nikola Jokic and really was able to use that length and strength and the ability to not worry about his fouls to get in trouble, even when Nash was here. He changed that series, Dwight Howard did. Right. Bill McGee came in, even if Dwight yeah. Howard didn't have issues. That's something the Lakers don't have, so who can compete there? That makes this this tactically interesting, because the person that we're not talking about is Jamal Murray. And uh, Dennis Schroeder, I think, is, a, is an underrated player, not a defensive player. D'Angelo Russell is arguably the worst defensive guard they have. So who guards Jamal Murray? And that part, when we decide of how this is going to shake things out, is going to make things very interesting. Because on top of that, you go to then option three, Michael Porter Jr. Who's going to guard Michael Porter Jr.? Is that Jared Vanderbilt? Is that going to be a good fit? The, the Nuggets, fortunately, have more opportunity to create mismatches than the Lakers do. The problem is the two guys that, that can create mismatches for the Lakers are both uh, at least one is their first ballot Hall of Famer and belongs on the Mount Rushmore of NBA basketball players. And the other one isn't too far from it. So that's the concern. The top-end talent for the Lakers is outstanding. It is that secondary talent behind Jokic for the Nuggets that, quite frankly, the Lakers don't have a match for. Can they make sure that they exceed that, take advantage of it, and then maybe make up the difference between from what, uh, what LeBron and what Anthony Davis will end up doing? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think it's one of the reasons why Jared Vanderbilt will start in this series so that they can just have more versatile size in general, where whether it's having Vanderbilt guard Jamal Murray and then they switch the pick and roll, whether it's having Vanderbilt guard Michael Porter Jr. And then they have LeBron on AG and they have uh, AD guarding Jokic and they'll they'll take their chances with Reeves, I guess, guarding Murray. Who's not a bad defender? I just I don't see him as a major impact defender in that. But I mean, he's he's good. He's he's capable. Mm-hmm. Um, but is he is he dynamic? No, no. And and uh, that's that's where you come with a, a lot of these Lakers defenders in that backcourt, especially is that AD papers over a lot of weaknesses. They have some guys that can execute the scheme. They have a lot of guys that can funnel towards AD uh, with the, all those all those different actions, but. Generally, that involves AD being able to sag off of a center, and it's where the next tactical question comes. How the Lakers guard the Jokic-Murray two-man game is really, really interesting because if if they decide that they are going to play it straight up, play it two-on-two, I think Jokic and Murray can burn them. I know that AD is extremely talented. I know that he is dynamic as a defender, but this is a different beast. This is a different Nuggets attack that is a little bit more diverse. It's a little bit more dynamic than even the Stephen Curry and Dray- Draymond Green two-man game. It's just it's just better because Jokic is going to be a super threat in that. And then a lot of the stuff that Jamal Murray does in kind of that two-on-two action, it takes advantage of somebody like a- AD 
who can't get away from Jokic in that situation. So that's going to be interesting. I think that Denver's two stars, Jokic and Murray, are going to be in line for big series. Like The Lakers are not going to want to help that much. They might decide to. They might decide to help a lot more than I'm expecting. But I think that those guys, Jokic and Murray, are going to have a lot of times where maybe it feels like game three and game four against the Suns, where you've got plenty of two-man game, not as much general ball movement. But I actually think that they're pretty well-versed to do that this time around. I think so. I mean, it's worth noting that in the regular season, 79% of the time with Jokic in the paint, the Lakers did send doubles in the games that they played this year. Now, as we've talked about, because the trade deadline, that Lakers roster has entirely been overhauled, and it's not the same kind of situation. But I would presume, because they had some success with it, they're looking to do it again. So what does that mean for Nikola Jokic? Now, probably means he needs to decide a little bit faster to pass out of that double team that may be coming. The thing is, I'm not concerned about that. Nikola Jokic sees the uh, the NBA basketball court like Keanu Reeves did as Neo in The Matrix. He sees the code uh, before anyone else sees it happening. So I think that Jokic will adjust and adapt to that in reasonably short time. But I do expect the Lakers to do it because I think the Lakers are simply unwilling, knowing that they have nobody. There is no Dwight Howard. There's no JaVale McGee. They have nobody behind Anthony Davis in case Davis gets in foul trouble to stop Jokic. They signed Tristan Thompson. They got him for the playoff situation, but he hasn't played. Uh, Mo Bamba, uh, as we sit here and talk about this today, is still in L.A. after getting a PRP injection plate for his therapy protect, uh, injection earlier in the playoffs. He's hoping to join the Lakers in Denver for game one, but he's not going to play. They have no size outside uh, outside of Anthony Davis. None of those guys are there anymore. So I think they're going to roll with the double teams as quickly as possible because it's the best way to hope to contain Jokic. Jokic, however, probably knows this and is going to pass out sooner. This is why I think when you look at the, the, the two-man game that you're talking about, it's really important not to overlook Michael Porter Jr. To my mind, Michael Porter Jr. is one of the major X factors of the series. If the Nuggets can focus on getting him busy early, we saw that late in the series with the Suns, where they focused on having him and he went out and had a great first quarter, even though the rest of his game wasn't phenomenal beyond that, the Suns had to respect it the rest of the way. I think they need to do the same thing. Try to get MPJ going. Open the thread of the fact that if you want to double Jokic, he's going to sense it. He's going to roll it out. And now you're going to find yourself in a situation where you're leaving a potential score wide open. So while the, the two-man game is going to be valuable, I think for the Nuggets, if you make the two-man game into a three-man game because the Lakers want to double, that plays rather heavily into the Nuggets' hands. Also worth mentioning, I think that Jamal popped up as questionable again on the injury report with a non-COVID illness. So we will see what he ultimately looks like. Uh, just from a physical standpoint, from a, a, a an engagement level standpoint, I, I thought he didn't look as as physically there in that game six, mm-hmm. uh, though he did fight through it and had a good game anyway. Uh, but that's still at least something to monitor. Uh, next, how the Nuggets defend AD, uh, the AD pick and roll specifically. And I, I mentioned it this way, not the LeBron AD pick and roll, because they've actually not run as many LeBron pick and rolls as you would think. It's more diverse. It's more varied between Russell and AD or Austin Reeves and AD. Sometimes it's Dennis Schroeder and AD, especially when they when they bring in reserves. And then LeBron and AD will always be uh, in their back pocket. 
do the Nuggets just play drop in this series? And, and do they decide, yeah, we're going to let Jokic sag into the paints. We're not going to let them get anything easy. We're going to force AD to hit jumpers. He can do it. Like he's been hitting a high level of mid-range jumpers in these playoffs so far. Is that a sustainable method for Denver? Or are they going to at least question that and decide, hey, we're going to we're going to shade a little bit towards AD. We're going to force him to make passes. Uh, but that, I think that's a that's a big question, at least. It is. I think it's sustainable. Uh, in, in 2023, you know, we just watched the Nuggets uh, team dispatch a Suns team that lives at the mid-range level at, at, a, at a rate in which virtually nobody else in the NBA does. It's not an efficient shot. Now, uh, obviously, if you're – Devin Booker or Kevin Durant, you could sort of break the, the 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 code there because you are so efficient at it that you can make that change. But I'm not sure Anthony Davis is that guy. If I'm the Nuggets and Anthony Davis is comfortable with staying away from the basket and taking mid-range jumpers, that's a win for me. No matter what he's shooting, that's a win for me. So I think the Nuggets should be happy with doing that. Uh, yes, they're going to have to be able to be aware of it, uh, of, of him heating up and from the beginning, yeah, I think maybe you sag off and you try to see how this game plays itself out. But you need to be ready to make changes. If if AD is rolling, if he's getting his confidence, if he's starting to play downhill, you have to be aware of that. And you have to be willing to make changes. And that means you have to be a little bit physical. You may have to have a little bit of help come over. And obviously that's a concern because, you know, we're talking about Anthony Davis now. You guard him. There's another guy over there. LeBron, somebody or other that uh, you have to worry about too. Uh, amazingly, here we are standing in May of 2023, breaking down this Nuggets Lakers series and considering LeBron James as the second option. He is, but when LeBron James is your second option, that's better than most teams' first options. Oh yeah, there's no doubt about it, and it, it is funny. I'm thinking about and LeBron. It's it's 2023. He was drafted in June of 2003. Is that right? Like that's. Right. That's pretty insane. That's that's just a like shout out. Like that's that's a crazy that's a crazy thing. But hey, good for him. Hopefully the Nuggets can can send him out. Um, number four, how drastically do the rotations shift? I think in general that Denver's rotation is pretty set. I think they've got the eight guys that they want to play. I doubt that Reggie Jackson, Zeke Naji, Thomas Bryant, even former Laker, obviously. I, I doubt that those guys get involved. But hey. You never know. Maybe Thomas Bryant is a guy that you want putting pressure on the rim in a series like this. And against a Lakers team that they run pretty small in the second unit, you're probably going to stay small as well just because that's the look that's been working for you. But uh, hell, like Thomas Bryant may have something for this series. He's definitely got something something to prove. Yeah, I I think either Thomas Bryant or Zeke Nanji, we're going to see them be active at times because Mm -hmm. behind Nicole Jokic, there simply isn't enough size now. I don't know how Michael Malone's going to do this. And obviously when Malone is going to charge the rotations, like I said, that's when sometimes the, the questions end up coming up. But to my mind, I think that, that you're talking about uh, a situation with, yes, you're going to need more size in spots in this series. And so whether that's Bryant or whether that's Najee, I suspect it's Najee simply because uh, we've seen him play more. But you're going to need to put a bigger body on Anthony Davis at some point. And, and when that happens, I don't necessarily know. But yeah, I, I just don't think you can roll with the eight that you've been rolling with because none of those guys can compete against anything to Davis. And I understand that uh, DeAndre Ayton is, is an equivalently large guy and certainly can play physical. 
but he just doesn't present the, the multidimensional threat that an Anthony Davis does. So I think you're going to need more size. Quite frankly, you're going to need to uh, not to go all bad boys pistons on it uh, from the 90s. But I do think you're going to be able to throw somebody out there at times you say, you know, I, I don't really care about the fouls you're drawing. Do not let this guy do what he wants. If you have to put him on the line, but more than anything, uh, push him back, make him take the mid-range, make him exert energy, especially in the games in Denver, because even if you, you get a couple fouls in the process, that's a net positive for the Nuggets. For sure. Um, the last one here that I have before we hit another break, is LeBron going to be the go-to guy for the Lakers? I, I know we talked about, hey, uh, he's right now the second option. He's, he's the second option, but it, it's really hard to say, yeah, I mean, you're gonna, you're definitely going to go to AD in these situations, and you're not going to go to LeBron. I'm not sure how much this matters in the grand scheme of things, but uh, one of the things that stands out, Austin Reeves and LeBron James have the same number of points in the clutch in these playoffs. Uh, they are each tied with 11 points. The next highest Laker is, if I just scroll down here, D'Angelo Russell with eight as well as Anthony Davis with six. So they are not necessarily fantastic or they, they don't necessarily know what they want to do in those clutch situations quite yet. They have been successful in general. Uh, Reeves has been great. Schroeder has been great, even though he's not like, it's not always involved. But LeBron is, is one of those guys like he's done it for so long. You're probably going to see him take over in those moments, but I don't know. I think Anthony. I, I think Aaron Gordon's a pretty good matchup for him in those clutch situations, and that that may not be the best thing for the Lakers to do. Well, it depends. What are we talking about? We say clutch situations, right, Ryan? I mean, we're talking about only taking the shot because you talk about Reeves, you talk about Russell, you talk about any of those things. Who's facilitating that last clutch shot? Uh, the truth of the matter is, when it when it's winning time, LeBron James has the ball, and he will either decide to take it himself. Or he will decide to pass it. And his unselfishness, I think, is one of the things that uh, delineates him and separates him from so many of the NBA greats. He trusts his teammates. He sets them up. He is willing to let them take the winning shot. He's done that since his Cleveland days. And none, nothing there has changed. So I still look at it and say, in the clutch, look, LeBron James has the ball in his hands. Now, he'll decide what he does with it. Maybe that means he's passing. But you have to focus on LeBron in the clutch. He's going to be the guy. I think. I think when you're talking about the overall thrust of the Lakers offense is going to be behind Anthony Davis as much as possible. They'd like to put pressure on Nikola Jokic, see if they can get him in foul trouble, see if they can frustrate him, something like that. Remember, Darvin Ham uh, today said the best way to stop Nikola Jokic was find him outside of his house and kidnap him so he can't make it to the game. Uh, their focus is to try to find a way to slow or stop Nikola Jokic. But when it is winning time, uh, you're going to the guy – that has done it more than anybody else on that team. It is going to be LeBron James. And I guess I look at it, whether he passes or whether he shoots, that's the guy I'm watching out for. It's completely fair. And I do want to, like, let's give some credit where credit is due. Uh, a guy like Lonnie Walker has 15 in the fourth, and LeBron mm -hmm. is playing off ball. Uh, they have Anthony Davis, obviously, for these different situations. D'Angelo Russell has stepped up at various points. Austin Reeves has stepped up at various points. So they do have guys. They have they have players that you feel like, okay, you can make a good decision with the ball in your hands in these moments. But mm -hmm. I also just think it's it's even more it's even tougher. It's even more pressure, especially if Denver is able to go up in this series as opposed to the Lakers going up, because if you're playing from behind as the Lakers in, in a series like this, then 
each of those individual moments become more pressure packed. So LeBron is built for that. We know that like Mm -hmm. Anthony Davis is built for that. We know that whether the rest of their group is or not, that remains to be seen. And I think it's, I think it's fair to at least have some questions about where that ends up going because LeBron is, like we said, he's in his 20th season. So it's, uh, I don't think it's, I don't think it's wild or off or out of touch or off base to be at least questioning it. So Tell you what, though, let's take one more break. When we come back, we are going to discuss uh, X factors as well as uh, make our make our predictions for this series. But first, everybody, this podcast we are associated with our good friends over at Mile High Sports, Sandy Clough, Sean Drotar, who you are listening to on screen right now. Uh, in case you haven't heard, like these guys are back on the Denver airwaves here at Mile High Sports. They are fantastic. Uh, you can make sure to catch Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. on MHS Radio. Listen live on the MHS mobile app, 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3, and stream the video version of the show on milehighsports.com, as well as on the company Twitter. Plus, each and every episode of Sandy and Sean is available for you to listen on demand in podcast form. Just search Sandy and Sean wherever you get your podcast. We'll be right back here on Pickaxe and Roll. All right, we're back. Final segment here, Pickaxe and Roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, joined by the esteemed Chandra Tar, somebody who, uh, yeah, just just stop. It's fine. I don't know what esteemed is, but uh, <laughs> that just means you're old, dude. That's that's no, all. That's, that's <laughs> all. <laughs> that's all it is. Don't don't take it too seriously now. Come on. Uh, no, but we're we're having fun here. Uh, I told I told Sean that we would go for about forty five minutes, and look at us, forty nine minutes in. Uh, just just rolling through oh, this bad boy. Let's go finals. Let's go. <laughs> Might as well. Uh, let's uh, let's go to X factors for both teams. Now, I think that if I am looking at the Lakers, the biggest X factor that I have is Rui Hachimura. You mentioned him earlier, and I think that he's a great candidate. Just because with Denver, you need guys that can switch and that can be big enough to match up with, whether it's Aaron Gordon or Michael Porter Jr., or even switch on to Nikola Jokic and not be just absolutely bodied. Like, there's there's not a lot of guys that could say that, and anytime you switch a guard onto Nikola Jokic, you know that you're dead. But with a guy like Hashimura, somebody who can hurt the opposition on the offensive end as well, uh, he's somebody who wasn't really a factor in the Lakers series against the Warriors, but was a factor against the Grizzlies. I think he'll be a factor against the Nuggets. Uh, he very well may be. That does seem to be one of the guys that I think can be impactful. I think he's a, a, a sort of a mismatch and, and flexible. Like you're talking about, um, maybe not the same as Aaron Gordon for the Nuggets, but not entirely uh, of a different vein. A guy that you can kind of switch on to certain people and let, let him do some work. So uh, Hachimura, I think, is is part of it. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt, I think, has, in this case, uh, too many deficiencies in his game to be able to stay on the floor for very long, whether it's a, the, the lack of offensive potential. Even though I think he's an interesting defensive player, uh, he is essentially a zero on offense. And at this point, when you're talking about a Nuggets team that can get double-digit scoring out of all five of their starters, that ends up being uh, something that the Lakers can't afford. So, yeah, I think Hachimura is definitely one of those guys to keep an eye out for, and especially in the first two games 
in Denver. Let's see what the minutes break down to be. We'll have an idea of what the Lakers want to try to do. Yeah, Vanderbilt, like like you mentioned, he reminds me of Josh Akogi. It's somebody that Denver is going to leave on the perimeter. They will make sure to box we'll him, him out. We'll let him go. Exactly right. I mean, you will simply leave him alone offensively and, uh, and go ahead and collapse on, on a guy like Anthony Davis instead. Yeah, that'll make it tougher for the Lakers. So they'll, they will likely get to the place where they have five threats on the court at all times. That's just the way to attack a team like Denver where they have to give Jokic a little bit more help because he's not as mobile because he's just not like that dynamic of a defender. And that's fine. Like that, that's it's worked out well for Denver so far, but we'll just have to see where it ultimately goes. Uh, for Denver, I would probably say I, I always call Michael Porter Jr. an X factor because what I really mean is I don't know what you're going to get from him. And it could be great and it could be meh. It could be mm-hmm. underwhelming. And this is a series where I don't really have a great feel for what he's going to do. I, I think that they could involve him. They could decide, hey, we're going to try to get you going. Like you mentioned earlier in this podcast, maybe not going to as many Jokic Murray actions and trying to work in Porter into that mix. I just think sometimes it's a little bit more complicated uh, because Denver, they, I don't think they do that entirely well. Uh, and, and sometimes like a team like the Lakers, they will be, they'll be sitting on all of those pet actions that the Nuggets have for Michael Porter Jr. So Denver's going to have to get creative. They will. And I, I think we saw that it can happen against the Suns late in that series, but you're right. There has to be a dedicated focus. And this is where basketball to me more than any other of, of the, the big sports we talk about is so fascinating. So much of personality is involved in this, right? And, and I'll, I'll talk about Michael Porter Jr. in specific, but Aaron Gordon is part of this as well. And if you don't involve Michael Porter Jr. early in the game, you will then find him generally just kind of uh, camping out by the three-point line, not doing a lot of the other things that that he can do. Uh, But if you involve him early, if you get him running, if you get him moving, if you get him active, uh, you'll get a guy that's more active on defense. Uh, He's he's never going to be Bruce Bowen or anything, but you'll get him more active on defense. You'll get him... Uh, cutting you get him on the back door screens you get him doing a lot of different things offensively but you have to involve him early it's the old rule right you get the big man to run you, you got to feed him uh, it's not quite the same with mpj but there is a similarity i think that aaron gordon sometimes can be the same way aaron gordon can be a dynamic force uh, even if he's not putting up big points because of the way he moves without the ball that if he's not involved early sometimes he tends to not move without the ball uh, all of us play pickup basketball at some point, right? When you realize you're never going to get the ball, you're not doing a lot of the hustling. That's just human nature. And I think with Porter Jr., especially as, as a younger guy and a guy that is accustomed to shooting and accustomed to scoring, he's one of those folks you have to involve. Whether you like it or don't like it, uh, I don't really care. That is who he is. That, so that's what you have to do to accommodate it, and the Nuggets have to make sure they accommodate it in order to diversify their offense. Because here's the same problem they had with the Suns. They ended up beating the Suns because they diversified that scoring. If you're looking at a two-man game, let's be totally honest. Nikola Jokic, who's the best player on planet Earth right now, as far as I'm concerned, and Jamal Murray or Anthony Davis or LeBron James. You're taking a pair. Which pair are you taking? I'm not willing to roll with Jokic and Murray on that. You need to beat these guys, I think, with a team and depth and an ability to score in a lot of different ways. So the Nuggets have to invest early action in those early periods to make sure that those guys are involved. And then, look, if Michael Porter Jr. hits a couple threes in the first quarter, 
Now the collapsing on Jokic, they can't afford to do it. They won't do it. And now the Nuggets have the edge. The early investment in diversifying their offense will pay off big time for the Denver Nuggets if they commit to it. It is funny. I do think that Jamal's averaging the quietest 26 points a night of, of anybody in the playoffs because he, he's been really good. And, and there have been moments where he has shrunk a little bit. There's been moments where he hasn't been perfect. But in general, we talk about a guy like Clay Thompson as, oh, yeah, you're, you got to be a dangerous Clay. Like you can't let game six Clay get open. Jamal's been way more consistent than him, and Jamal's been a better player than him. And the Nuggets also have Nikola Jokic, and that's just – I think that Denver's well-positioned with those two, that even if they have to rely on that duo as opposed to going with the beautiful game, I, I think they're going to be okay. They can win at least one game by doing just that. Whether they can win four or not remains to be seen. But And that, that's really what you're getting at here. It's like mm-hmm. it, it's got a, it does take a village, and Denver does have the guys that you want to go with for sure. Uh, who else would you count on as X-Factors for, for either of these teams that, that, you're, that you're paying attention to ahead of the series? Well, I mean, the big one, and it's, it's hard to even classify him as an X-Factor, but I think you have to because I think you brought him up. It's Jamal Murray. It's mm-hmm. hard to say an X-Factor is a guy scoring 26 a game. But the truth of the matter is he is not LeBron. He is not Anthony Davis. He is not Nikola Jokic. And uh, Jamal can be extraordinary. And Jamal can also have nights in which he's not shooting well and can, can kind of be an issue. So to my mind, he has the advantage offensively in virtually every matchup. I don't really see a situation where the Lakers can put anyone against him in which they think they have the advantage. And I think they expect that. So Jamal has to be aggressive. He has to be smart. He has to be effective. And that means, I think, playing downhill a little bit and also doing what he's been doing better in this playoffs than I've seen him play before. And that is understand when they bring a little bit of extra pressure, go ahead and dish it. You don't have to try for the difficult shot. He has the ability to make a great shot uh, like the great shot makers do. But you have help on this team. There are guys that can make shots for you. Go ahead and lean on them because they will make your life easier. So Jamal Murray, uh, right off the bat, is one of them. The, the second one, of course... I, I hesitate to say Bruce Brown because I think we know what Bruce Brown has to do, but it's Christian Brown. Mm. What can Christian Brown really bring defensively? Uh, we know that he has some ability offensively. We know that right now that's not what the Nuggets have him out there for. When Aaron Gordon is off, can you put Christian Brown on LeBron? Can, can he can he spend a couple minutes at least make life difficult for him, if not stop him? Can he make him expend the energy? What can you do with Christian Brown in his time on the court that can make things challenging for the Lakers. If he does a great job, if he locks guys down, we saw him get in Devin Booker's head. We've seen him do things that are pretty remarkable. And he doesn't have the the demeanor of a normal rookie, like Anthony Davis. He's won a title as a collegiate player. He knows what that takes. And and the other thing about Christian Brown that I think is interesting that people need to pay attention, I know he looks 14, I know he smiles a lot, I know he's got a baby face. He's one of those guys that actually wants to embarrass you on the court. He's that dude. So I think when you let him loose, uh, you have to see what he can be able to do. So I think Christian Brown is one of the X factors in this series because you're going to need him at times probably on LeBron, even though it's not a good fit. But the Nuggets don't have any other options beyond Aaron Gordon. So if he can get the job done and if he can even find himself being an effective defensive player, whatever he happens to score here and there in transition, that's a bonus. So I look at those two guys more than anybody, with uh, also what we talked about with MPJ. Uh, it's not really an X-factor role because uh, MPJ, as his very nature, is a bit of a roll of the dice. One day he's amazing, one day he's not. But uh, I look at those two, Jamal Murray, and I look at Christian Brown and, and say, those guys can tip things 
for the Denver Nuggets in this series. Just looking at, uh, at Christian Brown's numbers against Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, looks like according to NBA.com, uh, which take those matchup data stats with a grain of salt here, uh, Devin Booker he scored 14 points against him on 4 of 10 from the field, got to the free throw line a few times. Uh, Kevin Durant, he scored 17 points against Christian Brown on 8 of 18 from the field. So mm-hmm. actually held him under 50%. Anything like that for LeBron would be a monumental victory for Denver. Oh yeah, like and if that's the case, that would be that would be very helpful for Denver. Uh, we're we're gonna see. We're gonna see though. That's a that's one where I'm I'm not really holding my breath that Christian Brown can stop uh, LeBron James. Yeah. But like you that's said, just slow him down. Slow him down. Just just give him yeah. another look, and, and especially when they like they'll probably have AG on him for most of the time. They might even have Jeff Green on him for for some of that time with the second mm-hmm. unit, especially. But he's going to hunt those switches, and he can't hunt for Jamal Murray, for Bruce Brown, and Christian Brown with that bench unit. He can only, like, if he's only hunting for those smaller guards, and that's a win for Denver. They'll be able to figure that out. But if he doesn't care who, who's on him with that second group, then that's a, that's a definite issue. Uh, but the other one, we, we haven't really mentioned this yet, the foul calls. Um, ah. <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this because uh, look, we we talked about it at the top. Like the Lakers, they naturally get a better whistle than a team like the Nuggets throughout history. I think it's flipping a little bit uh, just because, like, look, this is this is a this is an era where you can promote Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and the Denver Nuggets, and and that is a good story, and that's not going to change up the revenue that much in terms of actually having them go to the NBA finals. But I can't lie if I'm if it's not it's in the back of my mind as to hey, banner 18 battle for the Lakers and the Celtics is yep. it's just four wins away in each conference. So should like, be that's a it should tough. be man look the look the heat of the eighth seed, right? I, and uh, I, you know I saw earlier today the odds are that Boston has a 97% chance of advancing and uh like I said, you know, never tell Jimmy Butler the odds, but at the same time, uh, the, the Celtics are the better team. And the idea of a Celtics-Lakers matchup is intriguing. It's not as if things are fixed or rigged, but the NBA has its own inertia. And it's inertia, like most uh, sports leagues, likes getting the big markets involved because then there's a floor for viewership when you're talking about your championship. That's just math. and There's no way around it. And uh, look, the, the, the brass of the league uh, wants good series, but they're not sitting here cheering for a Denver-Miami final. They're not. And how much do the referees play into that? I don't know. How much when uh, LeBron James drives on Christian Brown, are they going to call a charge on LeBron James? Probably not very often. That's just the way things work. And, and I don't want really want to plant the seed saying that uh, things are stacked against the Nuggets, but at the same time, things are a little stacked against the Nuggets. That's the nature of being in a smaller market. Now, uh, you're 100% right. Kevin Durant turned into a superstar in Oklahoma City. So there's no reason Nikola Jokic can't be as well, but it is going to be difficult to get over Anthony Davis and get over LeBron James because both of those guys have been in the league long enough to know if I want to get to the line, I probably can. And the Nuggets don't quite have that same luxury. So uh, that is real. Now, this is Adam, Adam Silver's NBA. It is not David Stern's NBA. David Stern's NBA was very, very different and something that I, I admitted for decades I did not enjoy covering because 
things did not entirely feel on the up and up. And we're not even just talking about the draft lottery. So uh, I think there are concerns there. But Silver seems to understand that when uh, a Milwaukee Bucks can win a title, maybe even when a Denver Nuggets can win a title, it strengthens the entire NBA brand internationally, which is where the league is growing. So am I less concerned about that than I've ever been? Yes. Do I think it's not a factor at all? I'm not that naive. Hey, man. That's uh, it's part of being a Nuggets fan. That's just that's just how it is. And it's tough. Like, I mean, everybody that's a Lakers fan is going to be like, oh, you guys are – you guys are just making excuses for the Lakers oh, being better. Right now, I'm looking. I can see y'all. I can see you right there. I'm looking. <laughs> it, it ain't that deep, guys. Like, we, we think that Denver has a serious chance. And, like, this is the best Nuggets team of all of, like, their franchise history. Like, there's there's no doubt in my mind that this is the best team. Of this is easily the best chance they have ever had to win a championship. And it's so. nowhere close. And then you're going up against a seven seed. If, if, this, is, if this is what actually, like, I mean – they stopped here. It's going to be, there's going to be hell to pay. Um, but yeah, next one, Michael Malone versus Darvin Ham, I think is something we, we'll, we'll talk about this and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, Michael Malone's now coached this team for eight years. Mm-hmm. He understands this team inside and out. He knows this group. He has deep seated relationships with this group. And uh, talking to him at practice today, he seems very comfortable. Just seems like he's, in a good place where he he knows the battle that they're going to face. He knows how important it is to uh, match up with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and the stakes that are here. But I think that he's ready for this. I think that he's grown a lot over the course of these years. And he's not the same coach that he was in the bubble either. I think that he's, he's gone through the trials and tribulations too. So it, it is interesting to see where these two teams differ from the last time. Obviously, Frank Vogel was the coach for the Lakers the last time. And I thought that Frank Vogel was an excellent coach. I think Darvin Ham is good. I don't know about Darvin Ham in terms of, hey, are you great yet? Uh, but we're going to find out. This is this is one where he could really solidify things for himself. So uh, we don't know everything that goes into the coaching and, and in, in terms of what they're actually doing behind the scenes. But I feel pretty good about what Michael Malone has done so far. This is the best Michael Malone's ever been, and I give him a lot of credit because this far into his tenure with the Denver Nuggets, and remember, of course, he was with Sacramento before that, uh, it's unusual, not unheard of, but unusual for coaches with the experience that Michael Malone has to continue to evolve and improve. Uh, by a certain time, you kind of are who you are. But Michael Malone has gotten better at, at substitution patterns. He's always, I think, been pretty good at, at using his timeouts, but the substitution patterns have been better. Falling into a, a rhythm has been better. Understanding now occasionally to let uh, some of your stars roll with the second unit so you don't have these hockey-style line changes that we saw not all that long ago, literally the beginning of this season for Michael Malone. He has evolved, he has adapted, and, and has had him be the better coach in both of these matchups. And Monty Williams, uh, do I know that Monty Williams is a Hall of Fame head coach? I don't know. But I know that he's a very good coach. And uh, even though he was dismissed after this loss, to the Nuggets, he's going to find himself a very nice job very, very soon. And Michael Malone outcoached him. That's the simple reality. Now, do you think that Darvin Ham's going to be able to match Malone at this point? Probably not. And Ham's in a weird spot, too, to be honest, because he's still dealing with a team that is relatively new. This is a team that got assembled, kind of thrown together at the trade deadline more than anything else. Uh, he's been playing more guys than Malone has been playing. That uh, can be a problem as the, the, the uh, levels of the playoffs go along. I think Michael Malone has the coaching advantage. 
And I don't think we've said that too often in his career, but we are now talking about the third straight series in which Malone uh, may end up being the better head coach. The bright side is the Nuggets trust him and give him this. We've seen how many times uh, when Nikola Jokic gets the whiteboard during a timeout and Jokic is the guy drawing up the plays. That requires an extraordinary amount of confidence and comfort in your role as head coach to be able to say, and I don't care how great your player is, LeBron James doesn't get the whiteboard. Okay, that's not what's happening. Michael Malone's confidence in himself, confidence in his team, comfort in where he stands as the Nuggets head coach ends up showing in those moments. The Nuggets do trust him. They believe in him. They believe that they are that he will do more or less the right thing as much as any coach can. There are always things to nitpick. But uh, he also sort of shares that role and understands that he's in there. He's in the thick of it with his players. And that's one of the special things that you start seeing from head coaches. I'm not going to put Malone on the, the Phil Jackson level or anything like that. But I am seeing a consistent evolution of a coach that continues to get better. And in this case, I think his experience gives him the edge over Darvin Ham in this particular matchup. He doesn't get a lot of credit for being an elite coach. And I, I don't know if he – like. there are certain factors that you're, you're never going to know about from just behind the scenes, what he's actually doing. But you've never heard any – questions about the Nuggets locker room over the course of the Highlands case. Yeah, out of there. Yusuf Nurkic, out of there. Like not not gonna deal with it. Just not gonna not gonna let that fester. And and Denver, like he's he's done a great job of bringing up Mike, uh, Michael Porter Jr. Like that's a that's a really important point in, in his favor, I'd say. Uh if if Denver does win a title, I, I think he can solidify himself as a top five coach in the league. Like that's that sounds like a a like both a shot at him, like kind of a veiled shot, as well as maybe, oh, it's too high praise. You're too overreactive on that. But no, I think I think he's the fourth longest tenured coach in the NBA right now behind Popovich, Kerr, and Spolstra. And all of these have rings. All those guys have rings. It's a big factor. You've seen other guys like Frank Vogel and Mike Budenholzer of recent years, and even Monty Williams, who went to the finals a couple of years ago. Like you've seen you've seen those guys get ousted. And it's it's not a guarantee that you're going to always stick around, but I think with Malone, if if he were to earn a ring with this team, that would be a really big deal for him and and just just for where he sits in the NBA hierarchy. Not that he really cares, actually, he does have a little bit of an ego. I, I don't want to understate that either. Like he, he does with the whiteboard thing. He he wasn't like he wanted to make sure. Oh yeah, the next time they were talking about plays, he's like, yeah, Nikola Jokic and I. We 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 both came up with this one. Right, right. Of course. It, was, it was a collaborative effort, and it was really my call, but it was a collaborative effort for sure. Uh, but that's an that's an interesting factor. Um, but let's wrap up here with we're we're both picking the Nuggets in this series. I, I made my prediction public on the last on last night's show with the the Denvengers that we're, we're now calling ourselves the uh, Adam Maris, Matt Moore, Swipe a Cam, and myself. Uh, everybody, go check out that show if you're if you're interested yeah, in another that's show. Company, by the way, that's uh, that's four good guys. <laughs> we we love it. It's been it's it's a great group. It's a great crew. Uh, but I I I publicly said Nuggets in five. Oof. I it's a it's a bold prediction because uh, I, yeah. I think a lot of folks are a lot of folks think this Lakers team could could absolutely do it. And and let me be clear, if some of the factors that I'm thinking of in my head, if they go the other direction, then it could absolutely go Lakers, and it wouldn't surprise me. But like I think that Jokic is going to be able to match up and, and exceed what AD is doing 
on like certainly on the offensive end, but I think he's going to be better on the defensive end that people give him credit for. And AD's not going to have the same level of success that he had either in the regular season or in the bubble against Jokic. There will be some other things that Jokic is able to do. And that's that's great. That's that's going to be helpful. And I think that Denver's role players are just better. I think that they are. I think that Murray and Porter and Gordon and KCP and all these guys are going to have the capability to be able to step up in, in these different situations. And Denver knows who they are. The Lakers are still trying to figure it out. And I think that the Lakers have definitely benefited from playing some weak teams. I know the Lakers fans want to say that Denver's faced weak teams with the T-Wolves and the Suns. The Suns were the favorite. The Suns were the right. favorite in the conference. Like, I, I don't know. We, we kind of gloss over that, but that's that was what happened. Denver wasn't the favorite in that series, and they took them down. Could the Lakers take down the Nuggets, even though the Nuggets are the favorite? Absolutely. Is it going to happen? I don't think so. I think the Nuggets have solves. I think that they're going to take care of home court, and I think they get one of those games in L.A. And when you if you, if you process it like that, then you think Nuggets in five. I actually I, I, I agree with you that they'll get one of those in L.A., but I, I, I can't go that far. I think the Nuggets do win this series. I, I mean, I can't believe it as a guy that's born and raised here. I, the idea of picking the Denver Nuggets to go to the NBA Finals just seems so foreign. I don't know. Wild. But I, I do think they're, I, it's, it's very simple. I think they're the better team, top to bottom. I think they're the more cohesive team. They weren't thrown together at the trade deadline. Uh, everyone knows their role. And you simply have the best player in the world on your side. And I think all of that combined over a seven-game series means the Nuggets come away with it. I think they they do win this in seven games. But uh, you can look at it you're like, could the Nuggets win in fewer than seven? Uh, yes. Could the Lakers win in fewer than seven? I have a tough time envisioning that. And so, you know, I guess when I look at it, you know, that's that's sort of the way I try to predict anything. You know, I look at a blowout on one side or the other side, a close game on either side. I just can't see the Lakers blowing the Nuggets out in a five-game series or, or a sweep or anything like that at all. I can't envision it. So I, I do think the Nuggets are the favorites. I'm going to say seven, and uh, and fans will have to sweat bullets the entire time. But uh, but I do think that the, the Nuggets are simply the better team. They are the more cohesive team. They have the more uh, uh, they have more ability to attack in multiple different ways. I think you saw that against the Suns. And uh, they have the best player on earth. And right now, I don't know where Nikola Jokic's ceiling is. He has not been just good. He has not been just great. Uh, he has been uh, historical, generational, transformative in these playoffs, whatever you want to call it. And if you're very concerned about Anthony Davis's ability, in the last four games they've played this season, Nikola Jokic averaged 29.3 points, 14 boards, and 7.3 assists against Anthony Davis. That's not much different than anybody else. Jokic right now is on a different level. He is basically breaking the code of basketball. He is a one-man army and there is no answer for him right now. Uh, Darvin Hem knew it. That's why I said specifically what he said earlier today. If you want to beat Nikola Jokic, you just have to make sure he doesn't get to the arena. Game one will be important. Game two will be important. Figuring out, like, if Denver can defend both of those games, yeah. then I think the Nuggets will take this early. And, mm -hmm. and I think when you're factoring in a long series, you're probably factoring in that the Lakers get one of those. Uh, it's it's hard for me to say. Like I I just believe in Denver's home court. I believe in their ability to – like they're just so much of a better team at home than they are on the road. And, and that's the difference in the bubble from what we saw a couple years ago. It, it's, it's an absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be fun. This is going to be interesting. But 
Uh, we'll just have to see where it goes. We could be wrong. And if we're wrong, then we'll probably get clipped and people will probably come after me on Twitter just like they normally do. People do it all the time. Don't worry about it. You're new to this. You'll get you, used to Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure I'll be in several scandals between now and, and yeah. uh, a couple of years. You want, man. Don't worry about it. It's going to be great. Hey, Michael, can you hit that outro music for us? Everybody, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Friends over at Superbook Sports. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We appreciate all the love and support on it as always. Sean Drotar, you can find his work at S Drotar on Twitter, as well as on the Mile High Sports radio side of things. He and Sandy do a fantastic show. I will be on tomorrow at three, helping to pr- uh, preview the game once again on the radio side. We'll have some different questions, some same questions just to be able to get a nice flow into what's going to be a a fantastic playoff run. Should be very fun. Sean, thank you so much for hopping on with me. Really appreciate it, man. Anytime. I was delighted to be able to Thanks for having me on such a a momentous occasion. It's going to be fun. It's been great, man. Everybody hit that like button on the way out. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.